Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi again, everybody. Time once again to give them the sports biz. It's Dan Avon representing the West Coast out in San Francisco. And say hello, like always, to the agent from EMG. It is Matt Marino out in beautiful Manhattan. What do you say, Matt? What's up, Dan? Heading into the final stretch of the NFL season. Gotten some NBA kicking off soon. Well, we're looking all right. And speaking of which, NBA, NFL, throw Major League Baseball in there as well. We're talking about athletes, and we're going to dive into something that certainly you are very familiar with as an NFL agent and as an agent for all athletes, and that is agents representing players and players representing companies and endorsement deals. We always hear about it from the higher end, the Michael Jordans of the world. We always hear about the Tiger Woods and the LeBron James. But can you sort of break it down, starting with some of the marquee players, and then sort of the guys who are at that mid-level, and then some of the other players, especially in the NFL, where you have the named positions and everybody knows the quarterbacks, but people aren't as familiar with, say, the nickelback or the offensive or defensive alignment. Can you sort of give us an overview of how all of that sort of shakes out in terms of who makes the real money when it comes to endorsements coming out of the NFL, NBA draft, or just overall as you take a look at the respective leagues? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I think it's, you know, just like you said, you know, there's, there's different parameters, you know, the, the NBA is a star driven league. Um, you know, you have your stars, you have your, you know, your marquee players on each franchise. Um, you have those guys that are, that are holding the league up, just like, as you said, just as Michael Jordan was the figurehead at one point, um, you know, so you have Kevin Durant, you know, LeBron James, obviously um, on, on each coast and, you know, a lot of guys sprinkled, throughout the country. Um, I think the biggest thing, you know, with the NFL is that it's, it's league and team driven. Um, that's how, you know, the league is built. Um, you have it because, you know, for a number of reasons, but just for instance, you know, NFL players are contracts are shorter, their careers are shorter. Um, you have a lot more turnover. So, you know, the companies like Adidas, Nike, Under Armour, um, those apparel companies, their, their contracts, they reflect that. Um, and a lot of it is built in, you know, unless you're, a quarterback, a first round quarterback, you know, a first round running back wide receiver. Um, that's how your, you know, your endorsement is built. Um, it's a lot of merch, a lot of merchandise. Um, you know, if you're, you know, drafting the first round, you know, Adidas might give you, you know, a $40,000 deal. Um, you know, which is, you know, when you think about that NFL compared to the NBA, drafting the first round of the NBA or in the lottery, you know, you're looking at multiple millions of dollars uh, for just a sneaker deal. Um, you know, and that's something that, you know, is, is really, uh, the separator. Um, then you're talking about, you know, that number in, in the NFL going down a little bit, um, you know, a yearly number, um, you know, if you're in the second or third round is going down dramatically cut in half to 20 or $10,000. Um, you know, obviously there's no third round in, in the NBA, uh, the second round guys, you know, you're really just getting, you know, kind of merchandise as well. Uh, maybe you get a sneaker deal in the future or, or as you progress in the NBA. Um, but really the NBA guys, you know, it's, it's lottery picks. It's guys, you know, just outside the lottery and that's how they're, they're really doing it. Um, I think also, you know, something that comes into play here a little bit too is, is just the uniqueness of each sport. You know, the NFL, you're talking about playing once a week, one day a week, um, you know, one Sunday, one Thursday night, one Monday night for 16 weeks um, for five months of the year, you know, NBA, uh, you're talking, you know, four nights a week, you're playing in different marketplaces, different markets across the country. 
um, you know, your, your face is all over the place. Um, you know, fans, consumers, they're seeing you in different places. Um, that helps to, you know, obviously grow your, you know, your profile as a player. Then you're talking about a longer season, you know, November until possibly June, if you're, if you're making it through the finals. Um, a lot of sports are similar, you know, major league baseball, you know, you're playing six nights a week. Um, you obviously have, you know, uh, star players uh, throughout major league baseball, um, especially some of these younger guys now, uh, you know, international soccer, very similar as well. You know, five nights a week, five days a week, sometimes you're playing a uh, longer season. Um, you're talking about from August until May, you know, so you're just in front of people's eyesight a lot more than you are in the NFL. And unfortunately, um, you know, that's, that's the way it kind of goes, um, you know, and, and I'm sure everyone knows, look, fantasy football, gambling, that drives a lot of the, you know, a lot of the money. Um, and, you know, how fantasy football works is that quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, a couple tight ends, you know, they're the dominant forces there. Um, and that's actually how uh, some of these apparel companies structure their deals. You mentioned how, how we, the fan base, see, literally see these, these athletes. I, does, this may sound a, a little absurd, but does the fact that you play football and you're wearing a helmet and people aren't necessarily, I mean, if you're a pseudo fan, you may not necessarily even know what Christian McCaffrey looks like or George Kill. Whereas if you play in the NBA, I mean, there's five guys and we know on those tight shots when LeBron James or whomever is at the free throw line. Does that lend towards the marketability of the fact that these guys, you can see their faces and you can identify them with a little bit, uh, a little bit more? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a for sure thing. Um, especially when you're, you know, in the early stages of your career, uh, when you can, you know, look, you can use like the Zion Williamson example last year, you know, number one overall pick, you saw the guy at Duke, you know, you saw him throughout high school, you know, he, he built up a, you know, a category on its own, a brand of its own before he even got to Duke. Uh, once he got to Duke, you know, that grew while he was there, you know, within that Duke culture, um, you know, talking Duke's, about the social media marketing that he was able to control. Yeah. You know, he was able to control that and just, he, look, he assimilated into the Duke culture. Right. So if you're a Duke player, Kentucky, you know, Arizona, Villanova, you know, one of these blue blood coat programs, uh, Michigan state, Kansas, you're playing for Roy Williams, Bill Self, you know, guys like that. Um, you know, the positive is that you're always associated with that college, with that university. Um, you know, I, you have a little bit of that in college football, you know, pairing into the NFL, um, but not nearly as much. Like I said, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely league and, and team driven. And I think when you have that guy's face, you know, at an early age, um, he attracts fans, uh, he or she attracts fans, I should say, because um, it happens on the women's side as well, too. Um, you're gravitated towards that. I know I am as a, as a fan, um, you know, certainly. Um, and it's just unfortunate. Like you said, you know, you're, you're wearing a helmet. Um, there's only so much you can do. Um, and look, a couple of years ago, I'll give you an example. Nike cut about 25% of their NFL players. Um, they just started cutting guys. And the reason they did it is because, you know, at the time they were making a move for the, for the league uh, apparel deal. Um, and now you see all the time, you know, they have the league, you know, jerseys, merch, everything that goes along with it. And they said, look, you know what, in our head, this is the smarter decision, you know, own this entire category rather than individual players. And the first guys that started getting cut from Nike were offensive linemen, defensive linemen, linebackers, safeties. Um, you know, they obviously worked their way down to skill position guys, guys that were finishing off their careers. But really, it was it was the big guys that were getting cut. And a lot of the time, 
you know, what they do now is they just put those guys on merchandise, you know, you know, one guy a year, you know, one guy is making, you know, maybe, you know, 40,000 or $25,000 in merchandise a year. And I'm not saying there's no value there. There's definitely value there. You know, if you can provide your family clothes and sneakers and, you know, all those other um, attributes um, because Nike's, you know, paying you $30,000 in merchandise, that's fantastic. I think it's a really insightful point that you make because when you think about the NFL, they do market when they're marketing they're marketing the brand. They're marketing the logo. It's about the NFL this weekend. It's the Patriots taking on the Chief. It's the NFL. It's always about the NFL. Mm-hmm. The NBA throughout the years has always been, it's, it's been slanted, I think, a little bit more towards the athlete. In fact, a lot more towards the athlete. Watch LeBron James take on Steph Curry. Or this weekend, it's Zion Williamson. And, the you know, it's, it's very individual driven as opposed to the NFL where it's very much about the brand, the logo, and the marketing is more about the, uh, the the NFL as a whole. Hey, one thing I wanted to throw out your way, maybe you could break it down a little bit more in terms of, of the clauses within an endorsement, how it protects the players as well as the company. And that is, and I hope I get the word right, because I always screw it up, indemnification. Am I saying that right? The indemnification yeah. clause. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Um, so one other thing I do want to touch on too is, and you touched on this a little bit, is that, you know, the size of contracts also, right? So this, this goes to contracts. Um, you know, you're going to have NBA guys on just massively bigger deals in the NFL, right? You just saw, you know, probably Paul George, he signed for, I think, what was it? 250. Um, you know, Rudy Gobert was 205, right? So to get these guys interested in a brand, you're going to have to make some serious, like, you know, headway into them. You can't just offer them $150,000. Um, the NFL, you can do that as a brand. If you're, you know, Nike or Adidas, you know, or, you know, you're going outside, maybe Pizza Hut, um, you know, yeah, you might be able to get guys on board for, for a lower number that's beneficial to the brands. NBA is tough. Um, you know, you're, you know, international soccer is tough. Major League Baseball is tough because these guys are making so much more money. So to, to really, you know, make them feel it or say to themselves, all right, this is worth it. This is worth for me to pay my agent, pay my lawyer, pay taxes on it. Um, you know, you obviously have to, um, you know, really make it worth the athlete's while. Um, you know, that's, that's really the, the biggest thing right there. Um, you know, in terms of the actual, uh, the actual contract itself. Hmm. The, so as I talk more about, as we get more in, into player and endorsements, we always talk about, you know, we've seen the fall of Lance Armstrong who lost, I think like $150 million in endorsements when of course, Everything went went wrong with him. And the fact that he lied about taking sports enhancement drugs, and, right. and we saw how he fell from the cliff. And of course, Tiger Woods, although he's still relevant, but how much money he lost when all that negative publicity came out about him. We see it annually, obviously to to bigger and lesser degrees. But sometimes the player has to protect themselves against the company. And where I'm going with that is Under Armour. I, I don't know where Under Armour is at right now, but I remember talking to somebody. And it was uh, it was an it was an is an athlete here locally with the 49ers, and they were saying, yeah, Under Armour is like someplace I, you know, you want to stay away from because they were dealing with some sort of fraudulent claims, and Selling and there was off. The company was sort of in, in danger, and, and obviously they, they have locked up some pretty big athletes, some named athletes, Steph Curry being one of which. So sometimes that's sort of a, a, a dual, you know, that's a that goes both ways, and, and you have to as an athlete keep an eye on who it is that. You're, you're signing for it or signing up with and protect yourself on that end as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to what you were talking about before, just the, you know, indemnity clause. Um, and, you know, basically it's, that's basically a, a, a contractual, uh, you know, clause that transfers the risk between the two parties. Right. So like what you're just talking about um, and use Under Armour an example, right. They backed out of a, what was it, a UCLA deal. Right. So um, just for, j- just as they're doing that um, you know, it, it's basically, it's playing a role that the clause basically plays a role in managing the risks in a commercial uh, contract, commercial transaction. So between a Steph Curry and an Under Armour, um, and usually it's, you know, because a party's, you know, negligence, um, you know, uh, a default on the contract, something of that nature. Um, and that's where it, it, you know, it comes into play. Um, so if you're using Under Armour and, you know, UCLA, or they just backed out, I think it was also Dan Wright, Cincinnati, they backed out of, and they're basically just selling all of this off. You know, what they're doing now is they're, they're just doing buyouts and they're saying, all right, look, you know what? Yeah, we, we were stupid. We locked ourselves into this 10 year, you know, whatever it was, $50 million deal. You know, we know it's going poorly at this point. We, we got to get out of it. We got to get out of it before it's done. Um, and that's the way they're, you know, that's the way they're basically doing it. They're, they're probably paying, or I mean, they are paying these, uh, these colleges and universities some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of incentive, some kind of add on, you know, for them to get out of it early. Um, and I'm sure that the universities are thinking to themselves, all right, look, if, you know, if we get a little bit of a boost here, we've got to stay with Under Armour for, you know, as opposed to 10 years, maybe we're staying with them for six years. Um, you know, we get out of it, we get some additional funds, and then, you know, we have the ability to go and, and shop ourselves in, in the marketplace to, to other companies at that point as well. That's fascinating. Where is Under Armour? I mean, are they, as a company, are they going to be here in, in the next three to five years? You know, I think they've, they've changed, they've shifted a lot. Right. So, I mean, you got, I mean, I'm sure, you know, everyone remembers them, right. They were, you know, the, the base layer company, right. That's how they, you know, came about, you know, they were the, you know, like the name says Under Armour. Um, and, you know, for a while they, they were the, uh, the figurehead, uh, the apparel company of the combine. Uh, this was the, fir- this past year, 2020 was the first year they backed out of that deal that was taken over by new era. Um, they're clearly, you know, uh, uh, you know, that, you know, basically pulling all their assets out of, you know, as many college programs as they possibly can, you know, can do it with where they feel that they're not getting proper value in return. Maybe that's a little bit of the pandemic. Um, they don't feel that they're, you know, their, their product is front and center. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think they're here in some capacity, you know, whether it's, um, you know, a high end apparel company competing with Nike and Adidas, I don't see it in that sense. Um, I know they put a lot of, work into their athleisure, um, you know, their, their tracking, I guess they, they had a, uh, they had an app that was like a, ma- a map, uh, map your run app, uh, for a while. I mean, I actually used it a couple of times. Um, but I think they, they just made some poor, poor decisions, um, of trying to diversify themselves rather than just sticking at what they were very good at. Um, and when they've, you know, when they've been good at, uh, when they've been, when they've been rolling, they've been, you know, they've been, really rolling, um, you know, working with universities like Maryland. I mean, that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Obviously their CEO, Kevin Plank founder went to Maryland. Um, we can go down some stories about, you know, the way, uh, the way Under Armour played a role in college basketball recruiting. If we really want to go down that road on a different show. Um, but just like you see, you know, in the news now, Adidas and Nike, you know, having issues with, with LSU and I think it was Arizona, you know, some of those college basketball coaches Under Armour was a big player like that when they first came on the scene. Um, 
you know, so I think Under Armour has to get back to doing what they were doing very well. Where do you see the future finally going in terms of endorsement and endorsement deals with athletes and these companies as the numbers get bigger and bigger? We see people like Steph Curry, as I mentioned, obviously Michael Jordan was the, he sort of laid the foundation for all of this as did LeBron James. And that is athletes now creating their own line and having a much more, much more control if you will, than ever before when it comes to endorsement deals and marketing. And obviously we're talking at that top tier level, but as you just take a look at it as a whole, in terms of that relationship, that age old relationship with endorsements, companies, and today's modern athlete, where's it headed, man? I think the star guys, your big name guys, right? Those are the guys that are really moving the needle, moving the marketplace. Um, You're going to see them taking much more equity in companies. Uh, You saw that recently with, you know, um, companies like Peloton, Tonal, you know, Home Fitness, right? Steph Terry, you know, took some equity in, in Tonal, Serena Williams, Paul George, I think as well. Um, you know, Kawhi Leonard just picked up some equity in a company called X2, uh, which is a, a drink, an energy drink. Um, I believe it's non-caffeinated. So I think when, when all said and done, you know, a lot of that, what I just named are basketball players. And a lot of that, you know, because of that, you obviously see what LeBron James has you know, equity in a, in a number of different areas. Um, you know, Spring Hill Suites, the or Spring Hill, um, uh, his uh, his cinema company, uh, original features company, uninterrupted. Um, the pizza company has a you know an equity piece of you know. So I think what they're seeing is that look, you know what? Just a traditional commercial deal or commercial endorsement isn't really worth their time. They want to see you know the effects for ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, and how it can benefit them you know in the long run. So. I think you're going to see a lot more of that. You're going to see athletes trying to pick up equity at a younger age rather than waiting until, you know, their career is winding down. They want to accumulate wealth early. They want to accumulate wealth when they're, you know, 24 and 25, 26, use their IP, use their name, image, likeness, you know, as they can uh, to gain that. Because, you know, if you're an NFL player, you're not in a big contract that year uh, at that stage of your career, you know, even an NBA player, you know, who's making more money, you know, isn't making, um, you know, life changing money yet. Um, obviously when you're getting to years four and five and, you know, you're talking about a max and super max extension, that's different. Um, but certainly I see, I see athletes wanting to be, you know, partners. They want to be able to split in the business. Um, you can call it a rev share. You can call it, you know, equity. I mean, that, that's what they, they want to have a, you know, they want to have kind of a, a stake in it as well. It's come a long way when you think about the early days of, of Chuck Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> that shoes back back in the day, I think might have been the first endorsement to where we're at right now. And you're you're spot on. Today's athletes, they're they're CEOs in a lot of ways, they're CFOs, and, and they they think of themselves more along the lines of having control than ever before, as opposed to just being this pawn that's pushing out some of these products, but also taking taking some action as far as ownership as well. All right, Matt. Well, let's leave it there. And of course, we'll uh, we'll catch up with some more sports and business news. And like always, for Dan Abone out in San Francisco on the West Coast and Matt Marino out in the East Coast, uh, reminding you to give them the sports business. Until next time, Matty, we'll check in with you. See you, Dan. Enjoy the holidays, man. All right. You as well. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.